0: We are going through the Psalms, as I have mentioned earlier this summer, we are kind of doing this not just to, to be in the Psalms, but actually to learn more and more how to be instructed by the Scriptures in prayer and in meditation. And so, uh, this Sunday, obviously, we're looking at Psalm 19, and, and this Psalm is really famous for being about the law. If anyone says, where in the scriptures would I go, especially the psalms about the law, the two that come up are Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, so that's kind of easy to remember. 119 is really long, so if you want the shorter version, Psalm 19, but they both are beautiful. And so we're talking about the law this morning, the law of God. And we're, we're going to unpack it a bit, but I want to, I on the very front end, say something, and that is this. The law has a couple of components to it. The, the idea we're looking at this morning is its beauty. And I really, really hope we all leave with a, a better understanding of the beauty of God's law. But the other aspect of the law that most of us are already feeling is the weight. You know, the, Maybe the punitive side of the law. Right? We were in Colorado on a road trip. And as we're driving back, we're driving through Kansas. And we lived in Colorado, so we made this trip a lot. And if you've made that drive, you know this. Oklahoma and Colorado you can kind of speed but in Kansas they don't have the revenue like in Colorado of, of tourism so they try to get it from the people passing through their state so you need to go the speed limit and on the drive this way I'm driving and next thing I know I'm talking to the kids and I look over and there's a, a state trooper I'm passing and that's never a good feeling you're like what's going on because they never go slow thankfully this guy was going slow or I don't know if it's a guy or y'all about 70 and I the speed limit 75 I think I was at 73 But what do you do? I get by this trooper. I'm thinking, you know what? I better probably just get over and go 70, right? So I get over. I slow down. Well, the reason he was going so slow is he was behind a car. So he gets around the car and gets behind me. And this doesn't have a dramatic finish. So let me just set this tone now. What it did, though, was for me, I'm thinking, I know I'm going the speed limit. I haven't done anything wrong. But I'm nervous. I don't want to be pulled over. I want to get home. I don't want a $300 ticket. And then I remember... I start thinking about, should I pull off? You know, the whole, I was exiting anyway. I'll get off, stretch a bit, get back on. He'll be way down the road. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't was I remembered I had a brake light that was out. It's Very hard to exit without pushing the brakes. So I just coasted on, and thankfully, eventually, this policeman or state trooper exited the, uh, the freeway. That is what we think of as law. Every one of us in this room, if we really thought about it, would say this. We love brake lights. Every one of you, all of our lives have been saved by brake lights. We love brake lights, right? But in that moment, I hated brake lights because it had the chance of uncovering my need for punishment, right? And that's what I want to do with, as we look at the law. I want you to suspend that fear of it for a little bit because what we're going to find in the goal of this sermon, in the goal of this psalm, is to understand how the gospel, it compels us to love the law. And that's a good test. Do I get the gospel? Or we use that language a lot. Do you get it? Do you get the gospel? Am I understanding Jesus? Am I living in light of the gospel? Well, what is your view on God's law? And if it's if it's the psalmist's view, David's, then you probably have a, a right view of the gospel. But if it's my view when I'm in that car with the police trooper, you might need to tweak your, your understanding of the law a little bit and of grace. So... With that in mind, we're going to do the nature of the law, the beauty of the law, the purpose of the law, and the method of the law. So let's jump in. Psalm 19, the law. Um, We're talking about prayer and meditation as we go through the psalms. And, And this psalm is so beautiful in regards to meditation. Because you envision David... I don't know if it was when he was a shepherd, and then he borrowed from that language later when he wrote the song. But this idea that he's sitting out, staring at the skies, just meditating, and just if nothing else, hits you all morning. That's a beautiful picture. Are we contemplative? Are we even? There's better things than this, but just a beginning point. Are we taking the time to think, and more importantly, to think about God? Um, here is, a, this, this is David looking at the heavens. And what does he say? Kind of like Psalm 8. Remember, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth." And this morning he's saying, "The heavens declare the glory of God. He can't even look at the sky without just being overjoyed. And, and he's, he, he breaks out in poetic language. And what he does is he talks about two aspects of the heavens, the nighttime and the daytime. And what he says is the nighttime, Reveals knowledge. What does he mean? Well, at nighttime it's a black sky, and what can you do? You can see beyond the blue canopy, out into in infinite distance, stars and, and, and whatever's out there. And the ancients are looking at that and they're in awe. And what David is saying, that even, that especially should tell you, God is present. And so what we find in these first verses is what we would call general revelation. theological terms you can write that down there are two types of revelation what are they? Shane? No I'm kidding we've all gone through our exams general revelation and specific revelation are special and this is talking about general very similar to Romans 1 right? God has revealed himself and David is saying look when you look at the sky you and I and really every human being should think God God made this God is ruling this and he talks about speech, and he talks about um, the fact that even though we don't know what that speech is, and we are not hearing this voice that the heavens declare the majesty of God, and it's beautiful. And then he transitions into the sun, and I—I I mean, I've read this so many times, and I've wondered what does this mean, and I figured it all out. No, I'm kidding. But this—the imagery. Just think about this imagery: the sun is coming out of a tent. Poetic language. When the sun, just before the sun rises, there's no hint. And all of a sudden, it just barely peeps out and like the whole sky looks like it's been opened up, right? And it follows its course. And then in the same way, until it disappears behind the horizon, even a little bit after, there's still the hint, and then it's like the tent closes. And you have this sun. And all day long, is this glorious thing that the ancients would have to look at and think, Some of them said, let's worship that. It's so beautiful, it's so brilliant, it's so needed. And so what we have is not only general revelation, but we have David drilling into something I think a little bit deeper, and that is God's common grace. That God actually is providing through His glory, the Son, and the creation for all beings. There's no place you can go where that voice is not heard. In other words, there's nowhere to go where You are not warmed by that sun where it's not sustaining your life. So, as we think about law, why are we talking about that? And that's a good question. And you have to ask that question when you're reading a psalm like Psalm 19. Because most of us, if we've memorized Psalm 19, or if we know of it, we think of it starting around verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. But what about all that first stuff? What is going on there? Why is... Why is uh, this the language that, that David is starting with? And I think the answer is David is connecting for us the fact that the law is glorious and it keeps you alive. It reveals the character of God. I was talking with Emily about this, uh, and I said, uh, and I asked, I guess, some of the kids, like, well, if you think of God, name some attributes of God. And I won't call anybody out right now, but if you had to write down a few things about God. You would, you would probably write some things like he's powerful, he's majestic, especially after these words. But some of you might also write things like he's loving, he's kind, right? And these are attributes of God, correct? Uh, theologians say you have communicable attributes and non-communicable attributes. I'm, I'm really doing my best to make everyone fall asleep. And we've talked about this before, but the non-communicable attributes, all that means is these are the things God has about him that you can't have. You can't be omniscient. You and I are not going to be powerful, all-powerful, right? God is. And these are things you would have written on your paper. But there are other things you might write down that you can do. Like be holy and be kind and be loving, right? But no matter what you write on that paper, if I said to you, how do you know that's true? And what does that really look like? If you wrote the word kindness down, what would you begin to do? Well, Ryan let me give you an example ryan it's like and you would begin to give me law you know holding the door for someone that needs that their hands are full i mean there's a million examples and what you'd begin to do is in describing god <clears throat> you begin to utilize laws to describe him and so when we think about the law as boring as that seems like as a subject to some of you understand that for david and i hope for all of us after today we'll begin to go the law is beautiful And it's as big as the heavens, right? So the nature of the law is that it reveals God. And it shows us His glory and His majesty. And then he transitions. We're going to now talk about the the, uh, beauty of the law because he transitions in verse 7 to a more personal application of the law, right? He transitions, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. In fact, the transition is so abrupt, if you have your scripture, You'll, you'll, it almost looks like two different psalms were put together. And some theologians have argued that. right? This whole psalm about creation, about you know, the heavens and the sun, and, and we'll talk more about it in a few moments. But, and then all of a sudden in verse 7, it's the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Where did that come from? However, here's the argument. If it's two different psalms put together, which we would say was inspired and put together when the, when the Hebrews put together the entire Psalter, they saw a correlation. They thought it went together. And the argument against it being two psalms really is the fact that si- verse 6 is too abrupt of an ending. That for David, there seems to be a connection between all of this speech about heaven and the heavens declaring the glory of God and, and the son being a bridegroom coming out of his chamber for the bride, right? And then he just snaps into verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what he is doing is he's saying the law is beautiful. That As much as everyone in this world can agree that the heavens are majestic, David is then saying, and do you know the God who that resembles, who created all of that, is personal. And He reaches into your lives. And He has absolute desire to see our lives also look like Him. The law is Beautiful. Well, let's talk about that beauty. There are these nouns. We're looking at the section of 7-10. through 10. The law of the Lord. He has these nouns describing, first of all, what the law is. The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear of the Lord, and the rules. These are the nouns. So what, he, what David is doing is he's saying, this is my subject matter, and I can't just choose one word. It's all of these things. And it's huge. Okay? But the adjectives, perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, right? The precepts are right. The commandments of the Lord are, is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. These are the adjectives describing it. The rules are, are righteous, and they're to be desired. okay? So here's the question. Is that where you are with the law? Are you there? You all look really pumped up right now. This is like awesome. Okay. So the beauty of the law and the nature of the law. But what is, this, what is going on here? What is the purpose? What is the law doing? When you dig deep, into what the, look at the, the key then is the verbs. What stands out for me as I read this psalm over and over is what each of these things are doing. Starting with verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. What is it doing? It's reviving the soul. What does that imply? Guys, everyone in this room, right now I can tell you it's true. Your soul needs reviving. Now, does that sound discouraging or encouraging? See, when you talk about the law, the fear is this, that it's going to be punitive. It's going to be that trooper coming after you. It's going to say to you, pull over, you've made some mistakes. Here, David is saying, let me make this assumption. I'm the state trooper, and guess what? I know you have some problems. I just want to help. I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to fix your brake light. And by the way, your cruise control might be a little off. Let me help adjust that for you. Be on your way, sir. The law fixes things. Isn't that interesting? It revives the soul. Uh, Verse 8, it rejoices the heart. That means that it's normal on some level to not rejoice. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying that should be your aim. But when you come to Christ, when you come to Scriptures, we should expect that we are often in a situation where we need reviving and our hearts need rejoicing. Right? How about the next one? Enlightening the eyes. Also verse 8. It's implying that our eyes need to be enlightened. Is that your view of the law? Do you think of Scripture in that way? Don't we most of the time think that we need to have it together when we come to the Scripture? That in this passage and in this psalm, it is clear that the law is doing something. Now, here's, the, here's an example I want to use. I have a couple of examples, but one is you walk into a restaurant and you've never been there before, the proverbial hole in a wall. And what do you do? You walk in. The first thing, whether you know you're doing it or not, you're assessing the restaurant by what you see. How does it smell? How does it sound? What's the decor? And then how are the people that work there interacting with me? Are they smiling? Have they even walked up and greeted me? Right? How are, the, are there other people even eating anything? I'm making judgment calls on the quality of a restaurant by all of these things, right? I'm looking for laws to be followed, right? I'm looking for, for evidence that there's something good going on. Okay. I'm going to now bring this to my favorite one of my favorite shows I've talked about a lot, but I'm going to do it again. The Prophet. Not Seinfeld. I heard a bunch of Seinfelds. This is the, the Prophet. Have any of you seen The Prophet? I'm going to raise your hand if you've seen The Prophet. I'm going to do a call-out. Okay. People that care about economics. Just kidding. Um, the Prophet is a show, not religious... Not that kind of profit. He makes money by going in and buying businesses. He comes in, he researches them, and, he, and they're struggling. The good thing is used, they used to have a great past. They, had, they experienced some flourishing. Now they're struggling. Usually the struggle, though, is because of ownership. Something's gone wrong. So he moves in, he kind of looks at everything, looks at the numbers, and then he offers the owners a, a price. And then if they accept it, he comes in, and the most exciting part of the show is he revamps everything. And it's usually hilarious because the owners start getting upset. Like, I love the blue color. It's red. We're going red. Or, I love the old name. Nope, we changed the name. You know, And he goes into like the stock room and he goes into inventory. And he's all about process over and over. What's he doing? He is saying this to the owners. If you follow basic laws, you will thrive. And it's true, right? I mean, it's not, well, we, did, we have a great product. We have great marketing, we have great inventory, great everything, we just didn't do well. No, that's impossible. And he has that mindset, and he comes in, and you see change. And by the end of the shows, there's a lot of bad ones where they don't work out, and it's really sad because the people just couldn't give up control. But the ones that go well, they always leave with excitement, and you can follow up with how they're doing. And so that show just reminds me, and it's like any show on fixing up houses and hotels and bars and whatever is that if you follow these principles, life can come, right? And that's really sort of the promise of the law. It's that, in the Scripture says that these rules give you life. But the problem we have is we think that we are the ones that have to change, right? We, we think that we are the ones that have to become law keepers. And so I, wanna, I want you to understand as we move forward in this discussion that the law is beautiful, the law reveals God, and the law makes life work. Are you all buying into that? You know what I mean? Like, why do we get so threatened by that? I mean, let's be, here's a couple of another. if you start being nice to people, they will like you more. Fair enough? I mean, have you ever read How to Win Friends and Influence People? That's like the most, it's like all laws. Smile, remember names, which I struggle with. Ask people how they're doing instead of talking about yourself. These are all great principles, and they're law and they work, right? And so, and they all reveal, I think, the nature of God. And so, I'm not going to say there's a problem with any of that. I am going to say though, that the the challenge we face is we feel like we're we're being fake if it's not coming from the heart, right? And so, we trudge along in this psalm. And we look at this last thing we're going to spend some time on, which, how did I word it? it doesn't matter. I can't remember the wording. The method of the law. I was, I'm taken by this psalm because if you stop there, you would think what David is saying is the law of the Lord is perfect, it can revive the soul. So if you need reviving, figure out what's going on. Read the law. Read the Bible. Figure out what's wrong with you. But look at his language in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Well, David, I, I can't. I have the law. It's right here. Thanks, David. And he's Because and, and what he's talking about is he's talking about specific revelation, isn't he? I mean, the law, and this is, this is good, is the Bible. And he's saying the Scriptures are God-breathed and they are able to correct, right? And they're able to instruct and they're able to change you. But then in verse... 12, he says, who can discern his errors? Well, isn't that an interesting question? Is he just being poetic? Well, he goes on and says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Who's he talking to? He's Talking to God. He's looking at his glorious God and he's saying, will you declare me justified? Will you declare me innocent of hidden faults? He then keeps praying. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. That does not sound like somebody who's read the law in the terms that we tend to think of it, right? So we have some work to do here. What is is he getting at? Where is David going with these results? What he is saying is, the law is beautiful only only when you are found in Christ. When you think about what the law actually means, for David, the law was the was the was in fact in verses seven through ten, the word of the Lord is Yahweh. Every time the law of the Lord is Yahweh. And for David, he was longing for and knows that there is a Savior, and he sees this need to have redemption outside of himself. And so he gets to this part where he says, Who can discern his errors? And he is not speaking as a man who is found wanting by the law, but as a man who's been redeemed by by Christ or by the future Messiah. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And then finally, in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. This is a man who has been redeemed. This is a man who's looking outside of himself and not looking at the law for his righteousness. So my question to you is: Where are you looking for your righteousness? What does that even mean? What do you need to feel good about yourself? What things need to happen to make you feel good in your life? What what? Maybe it's big things. I want to be married. I want a career to go a certain way. I want. I want. You know. I want to be a certain body type, or I want to big thing. Maybe it's small. I just want people to notice me, right? I just want people to remember me. I want people to remember my name when I walk through the church and a pastor walks up to me. I'm talking about Colton. So, I'm I'm working on names. I've called them out three times. so That's my memorization. What is it you want? This morning I was at the office and I am, in my opinion of myself, the guy that never gets locked out of his office. That's me. I'm the guy that's never going to have a problem with the key. I'm never going to misplace my cell phone. That's who I am. That's one of my sources of comfort about me. Well, I went to the restroom, which is outside of the office, but in the building. I came back, and the door is locked. I'm stuck. All of my sermon, everything, which you're all thinking, I wish you would have kept that in there. That would have been awesome. Um, the computer, Everything's in this office. I'm out of the office. And my car keys. And... Um, the, the one uncharacteristic thing was my cell phone was in my pocket. Usually, I leave it on the desk. So I called Shane. Shane came and rescued me. And now Shane has locked himself out a few times. He doesn't really care. He's a, that's not his identity. He's like, oops, locked myself out. For me, it's a major thing. You know, like so I'm sitting there trying to explain myself. Well, here's why it happened. And and I know, the whole time he's driving, and I know he's coming. I'm thinking, here's just another example of a way I'm trying to tell myself I'm good. And there's so many ways we do this. What is it you do to make yourself feel not condemned? Because the problem with the law for all of us is it completely exposes you. And that's what David is relishing in. You cannot go to Scripture and go to the law and go to... Through the, to the Spirit and not be exposed. And as, and as long as that's your fear, and as long as you obey that that desire to not do it, you will not grow in your Christianity. And you'll begin to calcify. And you'll begin to have this false view of what it means to be a son or daughter of the king. You'll have this really boring Christianity. And your soul will not be revived. So what do you do? What, how do we go to the law? I want to draw our attention to a place I go often, and I think we can't go there enough, is Romans 7 and 8. Because in Romans 7, Paul's talking about the law, sort of. See, he's not talking about the beauty of the law. He's talking about the fact that the law, when you use it improperly, punishes you. And he's not blaming the law. He says the law is perfect. I'm the problem. And so basically to summarize Romans 7 is everything that David says he wants. Chad, I'm going to use this as a bookmarker. Everything that uh, David says he wants, he doesn't, he's not able to do. Does anyone relate with that? I do. So I, take, I have this ideal. I go to the law and I think I should do X, Y, and Z, and then I end up not doing it. I feel convinced. Or there are other things I, I think I shouldn't do thanks to the law, and probably shouldn't, but I find myself struggling with them, just like David talks about. And, and what he is saying is the problem isn't the law. The problem is you. The problem is me. I'm trying to get better on my own. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to Jesus. And he has a, he has a new way of looking at the law. Listen to verse 8, there, or chapter 8. There is therefore... Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. That's the key. That's the law from Psalm 19. The Spirit of life, Yahweh, has come into your heart. you believe that? Jesus, what does John tell us? He's the Logos. That's for the Greeks. But for the Jews, he says he's the Word. He is the law. Why is He crucified? Isn't it because He called Himself I Am? He is God Almighty. He is the Yahweh. And He has come down. And furthermore, He's come into your life. And He's changed you. And He has set you free from the law of sin and death. Where now, because the Spirit dwells in you, you are not condemned. Does that mean you'll never feel guilty? Does that mean you won't make any more mistakes? No. It means the truth about you is you stand before the God of the universe, not condemned, and now you can look at the freedom of the law and go, that is beautiful. Does that make sense? So the prophet, he comes in. He sits down with these owners. And he doesn't say, I've got some good techniques for you guys. I know you're all not getting along. I know you're out of money. What I'm going to do is give you a couple of business cards with bankers I love. And I'm going to give you some great principles I follow. And if you order my online course, I promise you in about six months, your business will turn around. What does he do? He says, I'm going in. I'm buying. And he offers maybe 30%, 40%, sometimes 50%. And by being a part owner, he's saying we're either sinking or we're going up together. We're either growing this business or we're sinking together. And he gets involved. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what Jesus does? Kind of? Not really. He does it a little differently. He sits down with us and he says, I got really bad news. The business is over. It's gone. And Furthermore, even when you thought it was good, it really wasn't that good. I've looked at your financials. So what I'm going to do is buy it. I'm going to buy it. And you have zero ownership of it. But you have ownership of everything I own. But it's going to be really costly because for me to buy your business, I have to die. And now I own you and your business in a good, healthy way. And you no longer have to fear how it's going. You can simply let me come in. And guess what will happen? Because it is your business, it's your life, you're going to love my principles. When I say, hey, let's try this system and let's do that. You're going to love it because there's no fear in you. Now we can change the inventory system and, and adjust the, the, the logo or whatever you want to do. Even change locations and, and the business will flourish. That is the promise that Jesus makes. But it only comes by you letting go of ownership. It only comes through adoption. It only comes through complete and utter union with Christ. Now, the good news is That is a once and for all thing. The bad news is we still like the show. We try to take ownership back every day. Our default is to wake up and act like Jesus never did that and try to go run the thing on our own. So we repent. We come back to Him over and over in repentance and faith. So when you go to Psalm 19, as you think about prayer, you have to go all the way through. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer, you are mine, I am yours. Own me. Repent. And his law begins to look beautiful. All of a sudden, brake lights make sense, speed limits make sense, kind words make sense, healed marriages make sense, loving our children, loving our parents loving our enemies. All of these things begin to make sense because we're no longer running it on our own. We live in Christ.